Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Hi, I have a question. My AMH is low. Can I have problems with IVF? As some doctors in my country and they said I can't stay pregnant naturally, AMH minimum is 8.6. Now it's a little lower. Can be a problem in pregnancy. I'm 30 years old. Yeah, I wouldn't get too disillusioned by that. If it's around 8, I would be be relatively comfortable. If it was one, I'd be quite disturbed. But around eight uh, means there is still a reasonable ovarian reserve. It's not fantastic, but at eight, at 30, you know, you'll have menopause at the same time virtually as anybody else. If you had an AMH of one, the evidence shows that you'll run out of eggs when you're in your early 40s. There is a relationship. I'm concerned that they may be walking you towards IVF prematurely. (laughs) I don't know how long you've been trying to get pregnant, but certainly uh, if all the other tests were normal, like your partner's sperm is good and you've got open fallopian tubes and you've only been trying for six or 12 months, I would push on for a bit longer before you get into IVF. This person says, I'm a lesbian in need of sperm to become pregnant. Can my friend be my donor? The important thing with sperm donation amongst friends is for you to be comfortable on two fronts. One is their own, their health and the diseases they might carry. So um, that's why going through a clinic like us, uh, where we test all of those things. In, in, in fact, we also test the genetics of the, of, the, of the potential donor. And the second part of that is dealing or or facing up to the potential issues that may surround the child going into the future as obviously whether he knows who the pilot whether the child knows who the parent is what role that donor as a friend might wish to play in that child's upbringing there are a whole lot of questions to be thought through before you say yeah that's a great idea what we would be insisting on is that he has a a counseling session you have a counseling session and then the two of you end up talking together with the with our counselor before we move forward to actually uh, do what's necessary so yes certainly possible another question i'm in a lesbian partnership can my partner and i mix our eggs to become no (laughs) <laughs> no, it is. Well, certainly in Australia, that's illegal. Well, it's not illegal, but the guidelines say we mustn't mix the samples because it's important for the child in the long term, potentially, to know who his genetic parenting, where it came from. And for the same reason, we also don't miss. I've certainly had men with very, very low sperm counts, but a few who've asked whether they can have their sperm put with the donor sperm, because just in case it was theirs that worked. 
we're not allowed to do that. Technically, is it possible to mix two eggs? I mean, ultimately, only one egg is going to fertilize, right? We would know once a, once an egg is out, it goes into a dish. We know exactly which egg is which. Whereas if with with sperm, if we mix the sperm and we throw it in the dish, we know we don't know which one is the one that's going to fertilize it. What is the chance of being pregnant after using fertility drugs? I know you touched on that earlier on. <laughs> so, okay, so well, fertility drugs. I presume by that you're meaning tablets as the simplest form of fertility drugs. So the two drugs we use are clomiphene and uh, letrozole femira. If you are someone with irregular cycles like polycystic ovarian syndrome, then pregnancy from no chance of pregnancy or very little chance of pregnancy, you get up to around 70% within six months of taking those tablets. They work in a situation where your body is not producing eggs normally. If you're taking them when you have regular cycles and are ovulating yourselves, there is the potential advantage of improving the hormone environment in the second half of the cycle to allow an embryo to attach. So that's certainly my rationale when I've got patients who, who want to keep trying on their own for a bit longer. I, I add in some hormonal uh, stimulation. How much that improves things, I'm not so sure that it makes very much difference, but it may make a small difference. And I've certainly had pregnancies in that sort of scenario. Now, Amy says for the first round of IVF, is it one egg transferred or will you consider two? One of the proudest things I think I've, I achieved over my career, I was asked this question last week in the Australia Day Honours List and, and granted a member of the Order of Australia for my work in various areas of medicine, including infertility. And uh, they asked me what the proudest moment was. Well, probably helping clinicians around Australia move to single embryo transfer that's now routine. In fact, part of the accreditation process is looking at the single embryo transfer rate of clinics. Why do I think that was so important? When you put two embryos back, the chances of a twin pregnancy. So in Australia, back in 2000, around 2000, 2004, uh, where 75% of, of cycles were double embryo transfers, the, the multiple pregnancy rate was 25%. Now, that sounds great because it's all over in one hit, but it's not great. And it's not great because the risk of losing a baby in a twin pregnancy is twice as much as in a single pregnancy of actually a baby dying. And probably even more important, the chances of cerebral palsy in twins is four times that of a single embryo being transferred. So we brought in the rule that first cycle in particular was going to be a single embryo transfer. And what we discovered by doing that was that pregnancy rates did not decline. Um, and in fact, the cumulative pregnancy rate, in other words, having one now, freezing one and putting another one back, increased the chances of a baby at the end of the day. That's the policy. And now almost 90% of all transfers in Australia, all of the almost 50,000 embryo transfers done uh, in, on fresh cycles are single embryo transfers and likewise for, for frozens. So if you see a, if you go to a clinic who are putting one uh, more than one embryo back, you've got to wonder why. And Unfortunately, there are clinics perhaps whose pregnancy rates are lower who are putting two embryos back, but it's very few, as I say, less than 10% across Australia. It's very interesting, Prof. It seems counterintuitive on the face of it, but after you explain it that way, it makes a lot of sense. 
when I tell patients that, you know, they ask me exactly that question that, that um, your listener, our listeners just said. Once I tell them what the, the harsh facts are, and that's all related to preterm delivery, that premature delivery produces those problems. From an economic point of view, babies in neonatal intensive care, uh, we were contributing substantially to the costs of healthcare in Australia. And that's been recognised in the US where that more and more in, with modern embryology, they were getting 70% twinning rates when they were putting two embryos back. Uh, that stopped, fortunately, and they're now back to around, around uh, only about 13 or 14% of cycles in America are now double embryo transfers. So they've seen the light, but a decade on. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.